Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds with Bible Truth for Living. We appreciate you tuning in today for a message from God's Word. Those who may be listening on the Bible Truth podcast, we welcome you and we thank you for listening as well. We're in Luke chapter 17 this morning. I'm beginning a series titled Kingdom, Marriages, Families, and Finances. Today, we're going to begin the series looking at the foundation for kingdom marriages. I want to begin in Luke 17 and verse 20. The Bible says, and when Jesus was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall, uh, neither shall they say low here or low there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, when we think of God's kingdom, we often think of the coming kingdom age. You probably have heard of that. That is the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ on earth. That's going to occur literally when Jesus Christ uh, comes back to this earth. He will establish that kingdom. But that kingdom is not here yet. Now, some think that we're in the kingdom age, uh, but uh, you look around and see all of the chaos and turmoil and sin in this world, and I think you would have to agree this is certainly not the kingdom of God yet. It may be near, but it's not here yet. Now, the text that we're looking at, Jesus says the kingdom right now at this time is within every believer. I'll read verse 21 again. He says, neither shall they say low here or low there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, one day Christ will certainly establish his kingdom on earth, but until then, his kingdom indwells the believer through the Holy Spirit. You see, he is to rule and to reign in our lives, and one of those areas that he does that is in the area of marriage. When uh, Christ, uh, through the Holy Spirit, is ruling in our marriages, there is calm. But when we are the ones ruling, there is chaos. Now, I believe the foundation of any society is the family, and the foundation of the family is marriage. When marriage gets messed up, the society gets messed up. You say, why is that? Well, because marriage is not simply a social contract. We have uh, basically downgraded marriage to where it's just a social contract, sort of like if you were taking out a loan to buy a car or a home. Marriage is much more sacred than that. It is a sacred covenant uh, before God. And so realize when you decide to get married, you're doing more than just uh, signing some sort of paperwork and contract. You are entering into a sacred covenant before God Almighty. Again, we've cheapened that. Uh, today, marriage is seen more for its personal benefits. In other words, how will this relationship benefit me? So as long as I'm benefiting and uh, I, I'm feeling happy in my relationship and things are going well, I'll stay married. But when the burdens of marriage begin to outweigh the benefits of marriage, people will say, well, I'm out. I wasn't in it for this. Uh, if I'm not happy, I'm, I'm out of this. And uh, so that's what has happened. Uh, well, you know, one man said, my wife and I were happy for 25 years, and then we met and got married. Hopefully that's not you, um, but, uh, you know, that's how some marriages are. Dr. Tony Evans, in fact, some of the material I'll be sharing with you in this series uh, comes from some of his, uh, his books, and I, and I enjoy listening to him and reading his books. And he says this, 
He says some couples seem like they were married by the secretary of war rather than the justice of the peace. Well, again, why is that? Because uh, they have not understood they are entering into a sacred covenant with God. I believe in order to have kingdom marriages, we must fulfill God's agenda in our marriage rather than expecting God to bless our agenda. You see, here's what we tend to do. Rather than saying, okay, God, what, what do you want out of this, this marriage relationship? What is your agenda for us? We want to dictate those terms and say, well, here's our agenda. Now, God, you bless this. God, you get on board with it. And uh, it doesn't work that way. Now, today we're going to lay the foundation for this series by looking at two things. We're going to look at the origin of marriage, and then we're going to look at the order of marriage. Let's begin with the origin of marriage. Did you know that God is the one who established and ordained marriage? It was not the government. It was no other institution. It was God himself. And he established marriage in a perfect environment before sin ever arrived. We see this in the book of Genesis chapter 2, and I'll read verses 21 through 25. The Bible says in Genesis 2 and verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. Now, there are three things that uh, I want to bring out just from verse 22. First of all, Notice that marriage involves two people. You have two people here. You have a man and you have a woman. So it does not involve more than two. And then secondly, notice there are two genders involved, a man and a woman. God created male and female. Uh, you know, uh, when my dad, who has been preaching now for over 50 years, when he began preaching, he did not have to specify that. But I do now in 2022, you must specify. Here's what the Bible says, two people and two genders. Not only that, but I want you to notice this, that your spouse is a gift from God because the Bible says that God brought the woman to the man. Now you say, Pastor, I think I want a refund on that gift, or <laughs> I want to return the gift. Uh, I got cheated out of this deal, but no, uh, you, you must see your spouse as a gift from God. Uh, I know my wife, uh, Melissa, she, she and I have been married now for 28 years, and the longer we are married, I really uh, see her as a gift from God. She fills in a lot of areas that I am weak in, and I thank God for her every day because she is a precious gift from God, and I hope you feel that way about uh, your spouse as well. Something else I want to, to read here and share with you, listen to verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You have leave and cleave. The marriage covenant unites two people into one. Notice the Bible says the two become one. Now that doesn't mean you lose all individuality, but it does mean that you forfeit certain individual pleasures in order to please the other person. Uh, things that you say, well, you know, this is what I enjoy and this is what I'm going to do. Now you must understand you're making decisions, not just for yourself, but for another person as well. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, then don't get married because when you get married, you're not making a decision just for you anymore. They're, the two become one and that's important. Now, 
you know, people will say, well, that's Old Testament. That's from all the way back in the book of Genesis. Surely Jesus uh, thought something different. He was more uh, into the uh, the new philosophy of the day, and surely he understood all the different genders and the different aspects of marriage. Well, let's check that out. Let's see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Let's see what Jesus says. The Bible tells us in verse four that Jesus says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning? So right there, you see the creation of human beings, not evolution. He made them at the beginning. He made them male and female. Well, Jesus backs up what Genesis says. There are two genders, male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain or two shall be one flesh. Now, Jesus has just quoted what we read in Genesis chapter two. So did Jesus uh, believe in Genesis? Yes, he referred to it. He, he says the very same thing. But then he also adds something. Listen to verse six. Wherefore, they are no more two, twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, not just a piece of paper, not what government has joined together, not just what an ideal has joined together, but what God hath joined together, let not man put aside sunder or put away or ignore. You see, Jesus is validating the fact that two people become one, and that is so important that God himself is the one who joins this union, and man should not uh, dissipate that union that God has brought together. That's how important marriage was to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you this as well before we go on to our next point. I believe, and this is just, this is my opinion, I believe that outside of choosing Jesus Christ as your Savior and settling that, that the second most important choice you will ever make in life is whom you will marry. You say, well, why is that such an important thing? Well, because the difference between a model marriage and a miserable marriage will hinge on two things. Number one, how well we relate to one another in our marriage. Now, we're going to talk about that more in depth in, in weeks to come, how we relate to one another. But number two, how we reflect God in our marriage. Are we relating to one another correctly, and are we reflecting God through our marriage. That's why it's important to really consider. Don't just make a flippant decision about marriage. Whom you marry uh, will make you miserable, or you'll have the kind of marriage that even though it has ups and downs and bumps and trials and all of those things that come with it, you'll be glad you made the right choice. And it's a very important choice to make. That's the origin of marriage. The next thing I want to share with you is the order of marriage. Now, as we talk about the order of marriage, you know, order is important in just about everything in life. There must be order. The Bible says that God is a God of order. He's not the author of confusion. I was reading uh, this week that more American lives are lost in other countries by car accidents than by terrorist acts or natural disasters. Now, that kind of struck me because I thought, well, surely more people die because of either an act of terrorism or natural disaster than by car accidents. Why is that? And here's why. Because many of the roads, especially in underdeveloped countries, some of the countries in South America, those roads are not marked with lines. And so what you have many times on a two, what we would consider a two-lane road, there are bicycles and motorcycles and pedestrians and animals and other vehicles, and they all share the same roads going different speeds 
speeds, going different directions, and it's a recipe for chaos. And many American lives are lost simply because there are no lines on the roads. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, because when there are no clear lines, there's nothing but chaos. And when you take away the clear lines in the order of marriage, there is chaos as well. And then it leads to chaos in the society. We have blurred the lines of marriage in many ways today. Now, what I'm going to say is not going to be popular, but, uh, you know, when, when you answer the call to preach, you, you're not answering a popularity contest. Uh, you must answer to God. So uh, let God be pleased and, and uh, you know, take it up with him. But things such as shacking up or living together before marriage. God God does not approve of that. In fact, statistics even prove that those couples who do that more frequently end uh, in divorce, if they do ever marry, they end in divorce, than those who just get married and, and then live together. Uh, but then once uh, that becomes accepted, then you have same-sex marriage, which the Supreme Court uh, basically legalized across the land here just, what, five or six years ago, no-fault divorce. So you don't have to have a good reason for divorce, just I'm not happy or satisfied anymore, so it's easy to get a divorce. And then you have multiple partner marriages, that is polygamy. And, uh, you know, some people will say, well, that was practiced in the Bible. No, God did not approve of that. It was practiced, but God did not approve of it. And now we have chaos and confusion with gender identity, and that is creating confusion, especially with our young people. Now, that is the direction our society is headed today in 2022. Where are we going to be in 2025, 2030, and so on? It's created confusion. And when you take God out of the equation, you blur the lines of marriage, the lines of family become blurred, and the lines of the society become blurred, and then everything becomes chaos. And we're, uh, we're seeing the fruit of that today. Now, in the New Testament, you have a church that was filled with chaos, and that was the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul had founded this church, and when he left, this church had all kinds of problems. It was filled with saved people, but they lived chaotic lives. And Paul had to write a letter to try and straighten out a lot of the things. And one of the things that Paul had to correct was the confusion in the order of marriage. Now, I want to read what he writes in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, and then break that verse down for you uh, so we know what Paul is, is wanting to get across through the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now we have three levels of headship or leadership there. Now I'm going to begin with the last one first, because I think it's important to explain that before we look at the other two. So let's talk first of all about the part that says the head of Christ is God. Some get confused by that. Now, what does that mean? Please understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, is equal to God in every way. He has all of the power and all of the attributes of God. And yet, for God's plan for humanity to be fulfilled and for redemption from sin to be possible, the Lord Jesus Christ had to submit himself or humble himself to the Father in order for the plan to function properly. Now, uh, here's a great scripture to explain that. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And here's what uh, the Bible says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're going to come back to that verse in just a moment. Who being in the form of God, referring to Christ, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So he, he did not think anything uh, like he was stealing from God by saying he was equal to God, but made himself, he made a decision of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I think we failed to really appreciate what it meant for Christ to leave the portals of glory to come in human flesh, to know what it's like to go through temptation and to be tired and to be hungry and thirsty. He did not have to do that, but he willingly did. Now listen to verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, even though he was God, all right, he was the God-man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He placed himself in function under the Father in order to fulfill the plan of salvation and the plan of redemption for you and I. Now, I want to go back to verse uh, 5, because it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ Jesus, then, what is that? Well, it refers back to his humility. He humbled himself. Those are three key words. He humbled himself. Now, if Jesus Christ would do that in the Godhead as God the Son, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Godhead or the Trinity. If Christ would humble himself, then that same mind must be in us in the marriage relationship, the marriage covenant. A husband and wife in the marriage covenant must choose humility for the relationship to function properly. For the a program of God to function properly, Jesus had to choose humility. For marriage to function properly, a, a husband and a wife must choose humility. So let this mind be in you. Now, I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and now go to the first part of the verse. And it says this, the head of every man is Christ. Now, every Christian man, if you're born again, you claim to know Jesus and you're going to heaven, every Christian man has Jesus Christ uh, in headship over him or leadership. What does that mean, that Christ is the head? It means this. It means that we are then accountable and answerable to Christ in our function as husbands. We must answer to him. There's someone we have to answer to. One of these days, if you're saved, you're going to stand before Christ at the judgment seat. And one of the things that Christ is going to be judging us men for is how we functioned as husbands in the marriage relationship. We're accountable to him. We are answerable to him. Now, let me tell you something. Notice there it says the head of every man is Christ. Uh, please, husbands, listen closely. Do not expect your wife to submit to you and to follow your lead if you are not following Christ in his lead. I mean, don't you dare hold her to a standard you would not hold yourself to as well. I've heard men say, well, the Bible says that I'm the leader. I'm the head in the home. Well, are you demonstrating that by following Christ's lead? Are you going to church? Has your wife ever heard you pray? Has she ever seen you study God's word? Do you take the family or send the family to church? Think about it. Do not ask your wife to uh, do anything more than what you are willing to do. And the Bible says every the head of every man is Christ. You know, it's sort of like this. You know, uh, sometimes uh, your car will get out of line. I've driven a car before that was out of alignment. And uh, if you take your hand off the steering wheel, what will that car do? Well, it'll veer off. It'll veer to the left or to the right because it's out of alignment. And you have to take it into the uh, garage and have them put the car back in line uh, because it's out of alignment. 
Now, let's relate that to marriage. If your marriage is out of line, let's say things are not going well, there's fighting and fussing and feuding, and, and boy, you just can't seem to get things straight. Maybe your marriage is out of line, and you say, well, she needs to straighten up her act. If she would be the kind of wife that she ought to be, this marriage would be successful. That's not how you get back in alignment. What you must do, and I'm speaking specifically to husbands right now, is you must make sure that you are in alignment with God. God doesn't have to get into alignment with us. We must get into alignment with him. How's your relationship with the Lord? You know, instead of worrying about your marriage right off the bat, you need to ask yourself, how's my relationship with God? Am I serving God? Am I giving to the Lord's work? Am I faithfully attending church? Am I reading the Bible? Am I, uh, am I praying? If you are doing all of those things, you might be surprised how that marriage will get back into alignment. But instead, we'll go to therapists, we'll go to counselors, we'll try to figure it all out, and we'll hash things out and try to make deals and, and yell and argue and all that instead of going to the root of the problem. And I'm telling you, if you're a saved man uh, and you're having trouble in your marriage, the first place to go is to God and see if you're in alignment with him and get that taken care of. When a man is out of alignment with God, uh, then the, the the relationship, the family will be out of alignment. Now let's talk about this last portion here in verse three. And I'll explain this quickly. And the head of the woman is the man. Now, let me explain that. First of all, we are talking here in specifics about the marriage relationship, all right? This is not saying, uh, you know, that every man is the head of every woman. That's not what that is saying. We are talking here about specifically a marriage relationship. When it says the head of the woman is the man, that word head does not mean a dictator. It does not mean a brash, overbearing, uh, hard to get along with uh, type of leadership. In fact, a husband should lead like a shepherd. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd. The pastor of the church is the under shepherd. What do shepherds do? They don't get behind the sheep and drive the sheep by yelling at them and, and cracking the whip. That's not how it works. A shepherd is out in front leading the sheep in the right direction and leading in love. We're going to talk about that in a moment. When it says that the head of the woman is the man, please also understand this, that that has nothing to do with ability, with intelligence, with contribution, or even level of spirituality. It has everything to do with submitting to your husband's leadership uh, as as it is in function in order to have a marriage that is pleasing to God. It is God's role of leadership. God has a, a specific order in the marital relationship, in the family relationship, and within the church. Now, your submission to your husband, and I'm talking now to the wives, when you submit to his leadership, that is not a sign of inferiority. What you are doing is you are demonstrating the relationship between Christ and the church. You know, since the women's lib movement of the 1970s, uh, you know, it's almost become a, an awful thing to say, you know, what do you mean that a, a wife should follow the leadership of the husband? Well, if you do it the Bible way, it's really not that complicated. Uh, and listen, he's going to make mistakes. There will be times when he makes mistakes, and every smart husband, every wise husband should certainly ask his wife's uh, opinion and insight. Many times they have better insight than what we have. But we're talking here about a a role of spiritual leadership in the home. Now, if he's not doing that, then sometimes mom has to do it. You know, if dad won't take the kids and the, the, the family to church, then mom has to do that many times. And thank God for, for mothers that do that. But the ideal, according to the scripture, is for the husband to take that role of leadership, but to do it in love. Now, 
The last scripture I'm going to read to you is from the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 25 and be done. Verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves means you're, you're humbling yourself to one another. If the husband is submitting to the wife and pleasing her, and the wife is submitting to the husband's leadership to please him, you're going to have peace and calm in that relationship. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, which means when you are submitting to your husband's leadership, you are demonstrating that you are humbling yourself and following the Lord's leadership. Now here's why. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So the demonstration here, and this is why uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. You have a husband and a wife. It demonstrates the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, what was that what is that relationship like? Well, let's finish this up. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, he is the one we are ultimately following. So let the wives be to their own husbands, not to anyone else, but your own husband in everything. And listen to verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That means that you're not leading as a brash dictator and bossy and hard to get along with. It means you are leading in love so much that you would be willing to give your life for your wife, just like Christ gave his life for the church, leading in love. When we do that right, and I know it's not popular, I know many would say, well, that just sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you, when you practice it God's way, then it works. It works in a marriage, it'll work in a family, it will work in a society. I'll close with this. Many people say passion is the most important thing in marriage. Uh, and it's not. It is important, and we're going to talk about that later. But more important than passion is purpose in marriage. What is the purpose of your marriage? Mo marriage is more than doing life with someone, you know, buying some vehicles and houses and having kids, and then that's it. No. Marriage is about representing God to others through the covenant relationship of marriage. Now, we're going to talk next week about the oppositions that come along in marriage, dealing with communication and temptation and, and other things like that. So I hope you're able to tune in and uh, share and tell someone else about uh, this series, and I think it will be a blessing. Something else I want to share with you quickly, I'm beginning a series uh, this Sunday night, September the 4th, uh, titled Foreshadows of Christ's Coming. There are many things going on in our world today that point to the near return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not a date setter, but boy, as I see the signs of the times, it's hard to ignore. And what we're going to do, we're going to do this for several Sunday nights, probably at least through the end of the year, beginning at 6 p.m. at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple. We're located at 817 Woodland Drive in Mount Vernon. Come and join us. We'll have study notes available. We'll be covering all kinds of topics dealing with current events and what the Bible has to say, how they point to the Lord's return. We will have a question and answer session after each lesson as well. So I encourage you to come out to that. Maybe you don't have a Sunday night service at your church, or maybe you've not been attending. Come out, 6 o'clock. Bring your Bible. It will be not necessarily preaching so much, but teaching in a Bible study called Foreshadows of Christ's Coming. I hope you can join us. Thank you so much for being with us today. I look forward to being with you you again next Sunday. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer.
You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.